Fresno. Good morning, Central California. Good morning, Facebook, YouTube, anybody else who's watching this online. I am Jonathan Keller, President and CEO of California Family Council. Happy to be with you. Hope everything is going well where you are. It is, for many of you, at least in the Central Valley, it is the last week of school. I know I talked with a Clovis Unified teacher yesterday who mentioned he was excited about the end of the school year. Uh, It's kind of surprising that it is ending so early, uh, at least to me. Um, My wife used to work for Clovis Unified, so uh, I I was always cautious when I said this when she was working there. But um, sometimes I am a little bit jealous of Clovis Unified and other employees who get to take some of the summer off. Yes, yes, I know. I know you're not really taking the summer off. I know you, it's a lot of work. You had to get up early. I don't, don't, don't yell at me. Don't at me. Come on. It's all right. Thank you to all the teachers out there who are doing yeoman's work, trying to fill the young skulls full of mush with less mush and more information. I appreciate that. And I know that all their parents do too. Although I will say that it's a little bit different and talking to some of these same teachers, it's frustrating to see what the state is doing on a top-down level to try to force teachers to provide information that the teachers really disagree with. We've talked about that a lot on some of these other issues with specifically comprehensive sexuality education. But there's lots of lots of different issues that are making people concerned. So in that sense, I'll also honestly tell you I'm glad that school is going to be out. It gives everyone a chance to catch their breath. And hopefully some of these teachers to even kind of regroup and decide how they want to approach some of these important issues in the coming school year. So there's a lot to talk about today. Uh, if I didn't announce it at the beginning of the show, this is Life Family Liberty. We are the radio show and podcast from California Family Council. I mentioned my name, but I am... Sadly, flying solo today. Uh, I was actually out last week. Um, We had, it was Memorial Day, so thank you to everyone who is currently wearing the uniform of the United States military. Thank you to all those families that have paid the ultimate sacrifice and lost loved ones in service of our country. Um, This week, I am without my co-host, John Girardi. There's an empty chair over here, so... He is actually back visiting his family, or his wife's family, I should say, in beautiful Minnesota. And I hope he is having a good time. From all the photos I've seen, it looks like it's going well. I know he spoke at a homeschool convention, strapped in with little baby Jack on his back, and staying very busy there. So congrats, Johnny and Holly, on your fun Minnesota vacation. My wife, Julia, and I just got back from a trip to Washington, D.C. We went for a couple of different conferences and events including the Wilberforce Weekend, hosted by the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, along with Watchmen on the Wall, a great event that Family Research Council puts on for pastors and other faith leaders. Um, so lots of good information, lots of good details, and we are. Uh, I'm really hoping that we can play some of those clips either today or on a future show, because some of the some of the audio from these conferences was really, really fantastic. Um, I want to spend the first segment just talking about these conferences, give you a little bit of an overview about why I thought they were so good and so important. Um, and then throughout the rest of the day, I want to play possibly one of my interviews. We did an interview with the Eternal Word Television Network, more popularly known as EWTN, the largest Catholic television station in the world. Back in D.C., I was there and I did an interview with them about 
comprehensive sexuality education. It was a great, uh, great opportunity to be there with Lauren Ashburn, uh, following Kristen Day from Democrats for Life, uh, talking about these important issues. Um, am I looking okay, Raphael? Just making sure. I don't know. Which one should I look at more? Does it really matter? That one. Okay. This is the tricky thing, folks. See, when you're, when you're here without a co-host, suddenly you become much more uh, cognizant and self-conscious of where you're supposed to be looking. And the studio is kind of big and empty when you're just by yourself. So when you're, when you're on camera with your co-host, you can always just kind of look at each other and you can you know, play off things a little bit more. But now I'm looking at two separate 9.7-inch uh, iPads that have the, uh, have the system set up. So it's always tricky to know where exactly you're supposed to look. Anyway... Um, so we were, we were back there in Washington, DC. Uh, I was there with my lovely wife, Julia. We bought our, brought our 20 month old Hudson and we were there in DC for these two different conferences. Um, I want to talk a little bit first about the, the conference that was the, uh, Wilberforce weekend. And actually it was one of the better conferences that I think I've been to in the last several years. Um, a lot of times if you go to different conferences, they're really good for networking, Great to try to connect with people and to find ways to hopefully partner together and to participate in different uh, initiatives and projects that are going on nationally. Um, the The interesting thing about this one was I actually felt like it was one of the more cohesive and integrated conferences I've been to. Uh, the title of it was, Is Christianity Good or Still Good for the World? And that may sound like an interesting question. I mean, I think for a lot of people that are watching this, although not everybody, I know there's a lot of people we have, especially on YouTube and even on 1680 AM here in the Central Valley, uh, that may not be Christians. They may not identify as any particular faith, or they may identify as something that is uh, non-Christian religion. But one of the questions that I think is often asked in modern American culture is whether or not religion in general is just as Karl Marx called it, the opiate of the masses, or is it actually something that is beneficial and valuable? Does it actually produce a benefit to the culture as a whole? So the, uh, the conference aimed to kind of answer that question, is Christianity still good for the world? Um, some of the speakers that they had featured this year were John Lennox, a very renowned mathematician and professor from uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, who is an African-American uh, writer, speaker, singer, rapper. Uh, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church down in Southern California. Star Parker with the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest from North Carolina. And the schedule was really all around these different topics of whether or not Christianity itself was good for the world. And here were some of the questions that they aimed to answer. Uh, opening session, is Christianity good in an age of relativism? Uh, you had messages from Rick Warren, Timothy George, Archbishop Charles Chaput, uh, Professor from Princeton, Robert P. George, and Kelvin Cochran, the fire chief from the city of Atlanta who was fired because of his faith. Um, then there was, th there was a session on is Christianity compatible with science? Does Christianity make the world better or worse? Does it help the poor? Is it good? Uh, is it, does it belong in the public square? 
Is Christianity harmful for sexual minorities? Is Christianity pro-woman? So in all of these different topics, they were trying to answer the question. A lot of times, I'll back up. A lot of times on television or in the media, you get the sense that the only Christians that are often mentioned, the only example of Christianity is to point out people who are failing to live up to the ideals that Christ teaches, failing to live up to the moral principles that are espoused in the Sermon on the Mount, failing to love their enemies, failing to turn the other cheek, failing to uh, sacrifice, to give away all their possessions to the poor. Um, it, it seems that all too often, especially in American society, but even in Western media more generally, that Christianity is used as a mirror to hold up to the culture and say, look at all the ways that you are hypocrites. Look at all the ways that you claim to believe in this and that you fail. Why are you even trying? Why do you even bother? What, what's the point of this? And that's the benign form of attacking Christianity. In some cases, it goes even further to say not only is Christianity ineffective, not only is Christianity unhelpful, but in some cases, they try to say it is actually harmful. It is actually a malevolent force in the world. Uh, that's a lot of times what you hear, for example. I, I mean, I'll be honest. Right now, we're, uh, we just started in the United States, and I think in some cases around the world. I know different, different countries celebrate it. But June is called Pride Month. Um, and it used to be called Gay Pride Month. Um, now, sometimes you are referred to as... LGBT Pride Month or GLBT Pride Month, but a lot of times it just now refers to pride. You just will see all over the place on social media the phrase pride, uh, the word pride. And there are all these connotations uh, within that during this month of celebrating uh, sexuality, celebrating uh, hedonism, celebrating a, a view of um, marriage and of human sexual interaction and gender ideology that is far outside the bounds of anything that you find in scripture. So as a result, there is a, there's a lot of claim that anybody who holds to a traditional, historical, uh, small-o orthodox view of human sexuality, i.e. the whole concept that marriage is between a man and a woman, a biological man, and a biological woman, a biological male, and a biological female. The idea that all sexual expression should be reserved and contained within the bonds of marriage. That idea is seen as not only quaint and antiquated, but is actually repressive and harmful and bigoted and hateful. And I think that the thing that I thought was so powerful about this conference was that it showed over and over the ways that Christianity actually still lives up to its highest ideals. It always will fail to a certain degree, but that around the world, the, the ending session on uh, Saturday night was the presentation of the Wilberforce Award, Award to a woman named Mama Maggie Gobran, who is uh, kind of known essentially as the Mother Teresa of Egypt. And she talked about the... Uh, they talked about, the people who were presenting the award, talked about the amazing work that she does with thousands and thousands of poor orphans and families 
in the slums of Cairo, Egypt. And the fact that their faith that has led them to care for these people has produced transformation and transcendence in the lives of these young children. And the 21 Christian martyrs who were beheaded by ISIS several years ago on the shores of Libya, those were actually former Egyptian street urchins that had come through this program. And the transforming power of the gospel was so real in their lives so that they were willing to suffer and stay committed even unto death. And I think that is something that we need to revivify, we need to see again happen here in the United States. And we'll keep talking about that and a lot of other contemporary issues on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Family Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you here on this beautiful Monday. I, I say beautiful. It, it's a mostly uh, mostly beautiful day. Lots of things in the news. Man, so many different projects and issues going on right now. And I wanted to share with you a couple of different things. It's, it's always tougher, I'll be honest, to do these shows solo. It gives me a lot more sympathy for uh, John Girardi because he very rarely misses shows uh, with me, and I am much more um, erstwhile in my co-hosting abilities because of travel. Uh, so he is doing, uh, he always does incredible work, and I, I respect him even more now that I've had to do this by myself a little bit more often. So um, I wanted to talk, though, about a couple of different things. In the last segment, we talked about uh, the Wilberforce Weekend Conference. And I wanted to discuss some of the other things happening on a state level. Um, lots of different lots of different things are going on in California that are really concerning. Um, and sadly, I wish that some of our legislators <laughs> would have been at this conference because I think they would maybe have a little bit more respect, a little bit more um, appreciation for the work of Christianity, the value of Christianity around the country and around the world. But instead, you're seeing California rush headlong into attacking people of faith, into attacking the whole concept of uh, religious liberty, uh, the idea of pro-life issues and values, and it's deeply concerning and deeply distressing. Uh, one example of that, I'll just say, is Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, Governor Newsom actually issued a proclamation uh, a few days ago at the California Democratic Convention. You might have seen over the last several weeks that a lot of different states have passed pro-life laws that are aimed to protect unborn children from abortion. They have passed laws in states like Georgia and Mississippi and Louisiana that have to do with heartbeat bans. They call them heartbeat bills. These have to do with when a child's heartbeat begins, and they allow the state to say, no, if a, if a child in utero has a heartbeat, you cannot kill this child by abortion. You, you cannot do that. We're going to draw a line. And I think this is a brilliant strategic move because 
legally, it can be a little bit difficult to defend for sure, because it does fly right in the face of Roe v. Wade. But what it also does is I think it humanizes the unborn child and points out the fact that even at this very young age, unborn children have heartbeats. Unborn children are living human beings, even in utero. And I think it helps to bring the issue back to what is actually at stake in an abortion, which is the taking of an innocent human life. So not surprisingly, some of the leftward states in the country, New York, Illinois, and yes, now California, have decided that rather than taking a cue from these pro-life states, they are going to aggressively and, I mean, frankly, barbarically push to expand abortion even further than it already is. In the state of Illinois, just over the weekend, they actually repealed a state ban on partial birth abortion, which is just shocking to me because that was, uh, that's a bill or a procedure that is currently banned by federal law. But the, uh, the state of Illinois apparently had its own state law on the books, so they went ahead and just as a kind of a big middle finger to the pro-life community and as a way to try to ingratiate themselves to Planned Parenthood and NARAL, they repealed that ban on their state law, even though it would not have any real specific effect. Um, a little bit later, we may get on either in this show or in a future show, we may talk about why that law was so horrific. But sometimes when it comes to the specific legal issues, sometimes I like to have John here to discuss the, uh, the issues from a, a, a legal perspective, a attorney's perspective, especially given the fact that partial birth abortion was attempted to be banned, that they attempted to ban it twice in the 90s, and President Bill Clinton vetoed both of those bills. And then when it finally was passed, the law worked its way all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court and was finally upheld by Justice Anthony Kennedy in 2007, albeit in a tortured and painful decision, uh, it was upheld. But that's not what I want to talk about today. Today, I want to talk about the fact that at the California Democratic Convention, Governor Gavin Newsom not only said that his state was going to continue to protect abortion rights, but he went further and he signed on Friday what he called a, quote, proclamation on reproductive freedom. So I want to, uh, I want to read this uh, proclamation. It's fairly short, but I think it's, it's sadly important for people to understand what the governor of the state of California views as important. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read the entire thing because it's a long whereas, 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 whereas. But I want to read at least a little bit of the excerpt uh, from the, uh, the letter that he wrote here. Uh, he goes on to say, in the absence of federal leadership on this issue, states must step up and put in place their own protections, both in statute and in their state constitutions, and uh, through the expansion of family planning and education to defend every American's right to reproductive freedom, writes California Governor Newsom, Oregon Governor Kate Brown, and Washington Governor Jay Inslee. Roe, as in Roe v. Wade, Roe is settled law, 
but newly enacted and clearly unconstitutional laws in a handful of states compel our states to act now to reaffirm long-standing commitments to safeguard the fundamental rights of women. So essentially what he said, and I, again, I don't want to read the entire thing because the entire letter is two pages. I might read more of it in the next segment. We'll see. But he essentially goes on to say that he thinks that women from around the country should come to the state of California to get abortions. They should come to California so that they can exercise their reproductive rights, their reproductive health care rights. I, I, I almost don't quite have words for this. To look at other states that have elected majorities in their state legislatures, in some cases, super majorities, in the case of Louisiana, for example. In Louisiana, the bill to protect unborn human life, the bill to ban abortion after a fetal heartbeat has been detected, was actually introduced by an African-American female legislator. Guess which party this African-American female legislator is registered? Not a Republican. She's a Democrat. Uh, State Representative uh, Katrina Jackson in Louisiana introduced this bill, and the bill was then signed by the governor, the Democratic governor of the state of Louisiana, John Bell Edwards. And when we come back from the break, um, I know that we're going to we're going to probably read a little bit more of this proclamation. But I just want to point out the fact that you have a legislature in California, a chief executive in the state of California, that is going so far as to push abortion not only on their own citizens, but to offer to use California taxpayer dollars to abort the children of people in other states. It's frankly despicable and disgusting. And we'll keep talking about this and other issues when we come back on Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you on today's episode of this fine radio show and podcast. Missing our co-host, John Girardi, but hoping he and his lovely wife, Holly, and their three adorable children are having a great time back in Minnesota visiting family. Uh, I have been uh, blessed to be on the road myself, although I'm also happy to be home. (laughs) Lots of irons in the fire these last several weeks and uh, trying to make sure that we get a lot of different projects done. Uh, Lots of things this summer, so many different meetings and conferences and different things to do, getting together with other people. Um, I did want to shift topics a little bit, though, because we've we've talked about some of the pro-life implications of statements by Governor Newsom and different things like that. But I'd like to shift a little bit and talk about uh, a positive story. For a change of pace. Uh, if some of you did not get a chance to see this video, um, I'm going to just play you the audio from it because it's so good. It's about three minutes long. Um, but I strongly encourage you, if you're listening to this on the radio or if you're watching it on Facebook, um, I encourage you to go and actually find this video. We'll, we'll post the link in our Facebook page. And of course, if you just Google it or search it on Facebook, you can find it. But President Donald Trump uh, surprised a lot of people yesterday on Sunday 
And I will read you what my counterpart, Alan Witt, had to say. Uh, he is the, uh, he's the president of the West Virginia Family Policy Council. Uh, this is the message I got from him yesterday morning. And uh, Raphael, I don't even know if you've heard this yet. Uh, he said, so I'm at McLean Bible Church this morning, which is a Southern Baptist church. I'm at McLean Bible Church this morning in the D.C. area, a big D.C. area Protestant church. Uh, and at the end of the third service, Donald J. Trump just decided to stop by impromptu after golfing this morning. Now, when he said Donald J. Trump, I'm thinking, oh, you mean like Trump Jr., you know, like his son? I'm like, oh, okay, that's not that surprising. No, the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump decided to make an impromptu stop this morning after golfing. No makeup, hair slicked back. I didn't recognize him. He just looked like a 70-year-old dude. Nobody, not even the pastor, knew it was happening. David Platt, who's the pastor, brought him onto the stage, quoted scripture that we should pray for our leaders, and then laid hands on the president and prayed for him. The president then waved to the crowd slightly and walked off without saying anything. So you are here. You have an opportunity to uh, address a large group of evangelical voters in an influential swing state in Virginia. You have an opportunity to know that your message is going to get carried across the country and even around the world. And instead, he just went on stage and asked for prayer and then walked off. Um, Alan went on a little bit further to uh, point out the, uh, uh, what else had happened in this setting. I guess some of the background was Trump was golfing with a couple of his Secret Service agents. And let me read. It says, turns out two of his Secret Service agents were playing with him uh, at his golf course nearby. The president asked one what he was going to do with the rest of his Sunday. The agent said, I've got to hustle to get to church at one o'clock. The president said, where? And when he heard it was McLean Bible Church, where Vice President Pence also occasionally attends, I guess, when he's in the area. He, the president said, hey, do you mind if I join you? And could I pray with the pastor for the shooting that just happened in Virginia Beach? That's what President Trump decided to do. So I'm going to play quickly, uninterrupted, the prayer from David Platt there yesterday on uh, Sunday, the 2nd of June at McLean Bible Church. Here is David Platt praying with President Donald Trump. So I want to ask us to bow our heads together now and pray for our president. Oh God, we praise you as the one universal king over all. You are our leader and our Lord, and we worship you. There is one God and one Savior, and it's you, and your name is Jesus, and we exalt you, Jesus. And we know we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your wisdom in our country. And so we stand right now on behalf of our president and we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom upon him. God, we pray that he would know how much you love him, so much that you sent Jesus to die for his sins, our sins, so we pray that he would look to you, that he would trust in you, that he would lean on you, that he would govern and make decisions 
in ways that are good for justice and good for righteousness and good for equity, every good path. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would give him all the grace he needs to govern in ways that we just saw in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that lead to peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. God, we pray for your blessing in that way upon his family. We pray that you would give them strength. We pray that you would give them clarity, wisdom, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Please, oh God, give him wisdom and help him to lead our country alongside other leaders. We pray today for leaders in Congress. We pray for leaders in courts. We pray for leaders at national and state levels. Please, oh God, help us to look to you. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to seek your wisdom and live in ways that reflect your love and your grace, your righteousness and your justice. We pray for your blessings on our president toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And obviously you can't see the, uh, the video, but really powerful moment. President Trump the entire time kept his head bowed and eyes closed. Then at the end of that, he shakes David Platt's hand uh, looks around, he claps, and he says, thank you very much, thank you very much, shakes David Platt's hand again. Uh, he had on his kind of classical, his golfing Make America Great Again head. It actually didn't say Make America Great Again, it just said USA, and uh, walked off the stage. Um, and at, like my buddy Alan said, he really did look not like the president so much as just a, uh, an older country club member, uh, khaki pants, blue blazer, hair slicked back with a, with a white hat. And it was, uh, it was kind of surprising, but also encouraging to see uh, President Trump going to this church and asking for prayer. Uh, Franklin Graham, many of you have heard of Franklin Graham. He is the president of Samaritan's Purse Ministries. He's the son of the late Billy Graham, a world-renowned evangelist. And uh, he had called specifically yesterday for June 2nd to be a day of prayer for the president. There was a large proclamation. A lot of churches participated. So for President Trump to acknowledge that and to go seek out prayer himself on that day was really encouraging. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about David Platt's prayer specifically and why I think that's important on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Life, Family, Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you today on the final segment of today's Life, Family, Liberty show, radio show, podcast, YouTube posting, Facebook live video, all sorts of ways to consume this content. Thank you for sharing. If you are watching online, I will just specifically ask if somehow you saw this video pop up in your feed on Facebook. Uh, please like, comment, share, subscribe, all those different things. <laughs> like the video, uh, like our page. Uh, if you're following us on Facebook, there's also a way to make sure that you actually get notified when we do these live videos. Uh, if you go to the page and you click like and you click the little button that says get notified, 
you can get updates every time we send out something like this. We don't do it all the time. You're not going to get a million notifications a day. Uh, it just is usually about once a week. And then sometimes if we do a special video, like a few weeks ago, I did a video from uh, Washington, D.C., actually. I was interviewing our friends Ken Williams, Elizabeth Wanning, uh, co-leaders of Equipped to Love, the great ministry that was doing the Freedom March back there. Um, talked a lot about all sorts of different issues on these topics. And uh, lots of things coming up, I can assure you as well. We want to talk about all sorts of different things that are happening across the country. One of the ways we do that is Facebook, but it really helps if you can make sure that you're actually being notified about it. So also, if you're watching this and somehow uh, you do not already subscribe to our Facebook, not our Facebook channel, our YouTube channel, uh, you can do that as well. And finally, the one other thing I'm hoping that you'll do is watch us live on uh, email. Not watch live, excuse me. Uh, subscribe to email so that you get all of our things we do on a regular basis that are off the social media beaten path. Um, social media is fantastic, but also sometimes we need to do longer form videos and articles. And our email newsletter is a great way that we keep people notified about things that are happening, whether it's different events at the Capitol, whether it is different action alerts that we need to encourage people to take, whether we need to warn them about contacting their state senator, their state assembly person, uh, congressional people, or even the governor. And as we talked about, Governor Newsom is not remotely a fan of people in California who defend the sanctity of life or advocate for traditional values or for religious liberty. But that doesn't mean that we need to be quiet. We need to continue to stand up. We need to be bold and we need to be forthright because you never know, like we've seen in past years, you never know how God is going to bring uh, deliverance. You never know how your voices are going to make a difference. Uh, I just want to remind you on that note. We've seen, despite the difficulty and the frustration that we see in Sacramento, We've seen over the last several years really incredible things happen. Uh, we saw uh, two years ago, Governor Brown veto a bill that would have mandated that every uh, pro-life organization in the state, every faith-based organization in the state, churches, schools, etc., would have had to abandon their pro-life codes of conduct. It would have mandated that those schools, for example, if you're a Christian school, you would have had to... Uh, continually employ people, even if they violated your convictions. As an example, if you're a Christian school uh, or a Christian college or even Right to Life Central California or California Family Council, if we had a code of conduct that said you cannot work here if you're going to violate our, our rules and our values, and then one of our employees went and actually got an abortion, they went and said, you know what, I, I disagree with the values of this corporation that I work at, and I'm going to get an abortion, and then I'm going to even, you know, let it be known. I'm going to post about it on social media. I'm going to talk about it. Um, the organization would not be able to even place a letter of reprimand, much less terminate somebody, for explicitly violating the religious convictions of that organization. Then just last year, we saw two miracles. Number one, we saw Governor Brown veto a bill that mandated all campuses across the state that are funded with uh, taxpayer dollars directly, CSU and UC campuses, would have to offer chemical abortions for free to the people on campus. Just horrible stuff. 
Governor Brown actually vetoed that bill. It was a miracle. Finally, last year, the thing that we saw that really, again, continues to amaze me, and I have to remind myself about it because it is so, it's so unexpected. Despite the fact that a bill attacking churches and schools and counselors, silencing their religious liberty rights, despite the fact that that bill had passed the assembly, then there was one single amendment in the Senate, and then it passed the Senate. All it needed was a final concurrence vote in the assembly. Despite that fact, on the last day of the legislative session, the legislator who introduced that bill, Evan Lowe, pulled the bill from consideration. He pulled the bill after talking to pastors, talking to faith leaders, and listening to their concerns. Now, I think it's quite possible that a similar version of that type of legislation may come back into play either this year or next year. Um, it's always possible that a gut and amend could happen this year and something could be rushed through. But we're also seeing there be incredible victories like that. Another small victory that we didn't talk about very much was the, the issue of uh, sex ed. Um, that bill, the Comprehensive Sexuality Education Bill, uh, was uh, not defeated. It was, a, it was approved. But some of the key books that we were most concerned about were actually removed from the curriculum. That was a huge victory. Now, it's not enough of a victory. We still have a long way to go. Uh, and unfortunately, it's the, the, uh, the curriculum as it stands is awful enough. But just the fact that we saw a, a minor victory in this regard is huge, and we should not ever take that for granted. We should be grateful for it. So I'm going to see if I have enough time here to play a final uh, video for you. Uh, I'm going to see if I can see if I can pull it up. Um, but I was on, um, I was on the station, um, EWTN, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, uh, month, uh, or I should say, excuse me, last month I was on this station. Um, and I spoke with Lauren Ashburn from EWTN. So I'm going to see if we can find, uh, if we can find that video. If not, I may have to wait and play it next. Uh, may have to play it next week because um, it's so good. I really don't want to cut the entire thing off. But just let me see if I can find it real quick. This is the uh, the fun of doing uh, live radio on the fly. Uh, sometimes you want to make sure that you've got everything lined up. Let's see here. Yeah, I'm going to play. I think at least um, I want to play at least part of it here because I think it's important for you to hear what is actually being talked about in these schools. All right. This is my interview with Lauren Ashburn talking about California's guidelines for sex education in public schools. Overhauled its sex education guidance for public school teachers. It's a move that has outraged parents who argue children are being exposed to ideas about gender and sexuality that should be taught at home. Earlier this month, concerned parents joined advocates at the state capitol to protest the proposals that include encouraging talking about gender identity with kindergartners and giving relationship advice to teenagers who identify as LGBT. Joining me now is Jonathan Keller, president and CEO of the California Family Council, which opposes the new guidelines. Jonathan, welcome to our broadcast. Thanks so much for having me. These guidelines don't require teachers to teach about sex, but rather provide guidance about how to address issues related to gender identification, sexual orientation, sexual relations. 
Why did the Department of Education say this was needed? You know, I think it's an example, sadly, of the state of California really going farther and faster than parents certainly want to see things happen. We're seeing parents wanting to have they're wanting to maintain control over their kids' educational guidelines, mm -hmm. and the state of California is instead mandating a top-down, one-size-fits-all approach for every district. Well, do you believe, let's, let's back up here, do you believe that there is a place in public schools for any type of discussion on sexual issues? Oh, absolutely. I think the concern is that this is not comprehensive sex ed. It's not the birds and the bees that we've known about in the past. It's comprehensive sexuality education. It's introducing topics to children, again, as young as five and six years old, relating to gender identity, for example. And the idea that you would put the choice of whether or not biology and gender are connected into the hands and the minds of a five or six-year-old, that just seems really extreme. The Board of Education, not the Department of Education, as I said earlier, in other words, is getting in people's business. And they don't like it, but many do. So tell me where the, uh, where, where does it, what's the percentage? Are, are there more people who don't or more people who do? Obviously it passed, right? It so. Did. Well, this is actually a difficulty that we see in the state of California on so many different issues. Because the state is so large, you know, 40 million people, you can have a bare majority of people in the state that approve of this type of education, but that still leaves millions of parents millions of children that are being forced to either accept wholesale a type of sexuality education they vehemently disagree with, they object to for religious reasons, or they have to try to find some other alternative schooling method. And the fact that the state tells single moms, for example, I'm sorry, you, you may not have the option to homeschool, you may not have the uh, ability to afford to put your child in parochial school, take it or leave it, that just seems, again, to be unfair and cruel to these parents. Is it Folks, there's a little bit more of my interview, which will probably end up playing on next week's show, along with uh, new commentary from John Girardi. You know that you're going to want to hear his take on all of this craziness. For now, I want to thank producer Raphael. I want to thank Woody back in the home studios. Thank you to John, even though he's not here. It's uh, always good to have him as a co-host. Folks, we will be back next week on a new episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Liberty.